Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you well, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. You may be seated. Father, here we are again as hungry beggars, asking that you would feed us the good news of your gospel and praying that this nourishing word would fuel us not just for today, but for this week and for our Christian lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I opened up this book, what I spoke about was modern-day Jonas. And, and by that, I meant by men who had literally been swallowed up by whales in our time. And it's been seen on, on video and as I, I spoke about these modern-day uh, Jonas, it got me thinking there's another sense in what I, I, I want to speak about a modern-day Jonah to you this morning. Um, and not in the sense of being swallowed by a fish, in a completely different sense, in someone who has been sent to minister to their very enemies. I want to open by talking about Henry Gorecki. He was an evangelical Lutheran minister in the 1900s. He uh, was in Missouri, and during World War II, his sons, he had two sons, they were sent off to serve in the war. Um, And Henry was behind as as a pastor, pastoring, caring for his church, but he felt this conviction and this call to, to go serve the, the country somehow. And so Henry enlisted in the army and he was sent off as an army cha- chaplain. And so he joined the allied forces and he served as a chaplain alongside uh, the forces caring for our wounded soldiers. And when the war came to, to an end, to a conclusion, Henry's sons were sent home. The war is over. So the soldiers came back. Henry had an interesting call on his life. He was asked, would you remain behind as a chaplain? And would you begin to minister to some of the most hated people at this time? The Allied forces had captured many Nazi soldiers. And they had them imprisoned. And many of them began to await for their upcoming execution. And Henry was called to be a chaplain to these men. Uh, it, it would be like being called like Jonah here to go to Nineveh. And Gorecki amazingly agreed to do it, to minister to the most wicked men. Could you imagine if you were in his shoes, some of your loved ones, some of your friends are dead because of these Nazi soldiers. And you are here called to go in love and tell them about Jesus Christ. And he does it. He agrees to go. The story of Gorecki reminds me that if he could go to the most hated men and tell them about the good news of Jesus, 
I'm without excuse. I, 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 and this is, as I read the book of Jonah, I'm thinking Jonah's plight might be strange. It might be foreign. But if I'm honest, there are people, certain people in my sphere who I see them as beyond the scope of salvation. Or even those that I look at and I say, I'd rather not just bother with going out of my way to talk to them. And, and when pushed against the wall, if I'm honest, I want to fight for my rights. I want to fight for uh, my right to be angry. And if you're like me at all, there are people or even people groups that you may go out of your way specifically to avoid. And so I'm asking you this morning, who are those people in your life? Who are those people groups in your life that you would rather not be called to go minister to? People you would hope in some sense that they would just be judged. Uh, The people that you maybe grumble about the most. The people that perhaps uh, you may put down on social media or you perhaps uh, will, you know, tell coarse jokes about behind closed doors. Who are those people in your life? And we all have them. Well, those people to Jonah were the Ninevites, a people whom had received grace rather than grenades from God. And due to this grace, Jonah reveals himself to be angry. He is very angry. And so this morning, we summarize this passage by noting that God's grace arouses either anger or appreciation. God's grace arouses either anger or or appreciation. And that is what we'll attempt to unpack this morning and to do so by seeing in these four short verses, Jonah's anger first, followed by God's grace. Jonah's anger, then God's grace. So let's begin with Jonah's anger. It's a good place to to begin to see as the passage opens up at, at, at chapter four, verse one, where it reads, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. It displeased Jonah. Uh, Recall that the nation of Assyria with its grand capital of Nineveh, this was an exceedingly wicked people. It, It was a violent and cruel people. They were an evil people. And it would have been natural to desire judgment to come upon them, or at the very least to desire protection to keep away from them, to not have to bother with them, to not engage them. And so, We are absolutely astonished when we read here in chapter 3 what we read. That the man, the man, God's man, Jonah, is sent to these people. And that this prophet, within a day's trek, declares this message of coming judgment. And to our shock, they actually believe Jonah. They actually receive what he says and believe him. Well, actually, more to the point, it's right there in chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey, he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed not just Jonah, they believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Would that ISIS, would that Hamas hear a call to repent and believe, and they actually took their guns And put them down. Wouldn't this be amazing? And even if they did do this. Would you even believe it? If you heard a report. Unless you saw it like on your phone. Would you even believe that they put down their guns. And began to to come to 
repent and believe in Jesus, we'd say, I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, chapter 3, verse 10 shows us this was a genuine outward and inward repentance. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. If there was any doubt, it's been made clear. Why would a follower of God then directly disobey him and run from him? Why is it that Jonah, if he's done what he's supposed to do, why, would, why, why is this turning and running? Well, it's made clear here because what Jonah feared would happen actually happened. His enemies repented and therefore did not receive judgment from the Lord. And for this reason, Jonah is distraught. He is upset. He's madder than a mad hatter. Jonah at this point could spit nails. What you cannot see, and I cannot see, but it's there. In our English Bibles, it's, it's a little bit obscured. But in the Hebrew, it's very clear here just how upset Jonah is about this. If we could look back and, and see that word displeased, where Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 is displeased. Uh, this is in connection with the word evil. And if I could reword this to help bring this out for you, it, chapter 3, verse 10 would read this way. So listen for how the evil is, is in connection. It would read like this. God saw what they did, meaning the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way. And so God relented of the evil that he said that he would do to them and he did not do it. But it was exceedingly evil in Jonah's eyes and he was angry. So you see that? The Ninevites stopped their evil. God's going to stop the evil that he was going to do to them. And this whole thing of mercy was evil in the eyes of Jonah. The very fact that the Ninevites to turn from their destructive ways was destructive to Jonah's heart and mind. It was an evil in Jonah's sight. And if you back up a sec here, Jonathan is making moral assessments. He's making moral assessments and judgments about the very heart of God. He judges God. God, you have done an evil in doing this. He's extended mercy to Nineveh. And this is sad to see. But what we hope to see is Jonah saying, Lord, I'm so thankful to see this. I'm, I'm thankful to see how you've used me in the midst of all this to bring these people to repentance. It, it, this is unfathomable because the very thing that Jonah was called to do was to be a successful prophet not just to his own people, but to, to the Gentiles. And as he does, he's radically successful, but he's upset that he's successful. Tim Keller puts it this way, where he says, you know, the, the reaction is, is, is inexplicable. You know, he says when artists, you know, are painting their art and it goes up in a museum. Um, and, you know, are they upset when they're Art actually is accepted for installation in, in the museum. Or, for example, musicians, when they perform really well and the whole audience does a standing ovation, are the musicians upset that they got a standing O? No. Why then is Jonah, who has just preached the toughest, um, to the toughest audience in his life and been radically successful, why is it that, that they have responded positively down to the last person, but at the same time, his heart melts down in furious rage? If you and I, if we could give Jonah an, a heart x-ray, we'd see he has heart problems. 
what Jonah loves and lives for is not well. Look at verse 4 here of chapter 4. The Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, the, the implied answer is you're not doing well by this anger. What we find then is that Jonah's beliefs about God and about himself and about how the world is supposed to work and what's worth living for leads him now to wishing and desiring to die. The irony is thick. His prayer in chapter 2, so Jonah's in the belly of the fish and he prays this prayer. And in, in chapter 2 where he prays, he says, God, you are a God of grace and so I want to give you thanksgiving. You're a God of grace. I want to give you thanksgiving. Chapter 4, he says, you are a God of grace. I want to die. Do you see that? You're a God of grace, but as long as the grace was for me, I want to praise you. And then chapter 4, you're a God of grace. But if the grace was for my enemies, just kill me now. I'd rather not be here. And when you get to a point where you are saying, God, if you want me to walk with you, God, if you want me to approve and judge well of you, then you have to operate in the way that I would desire you to operate. You, you must be a God that I would choose. A, a God who will excuse all of my sin, but a God who will offer swift judgment for anyone that I deem to be worthy of destruction. Well, then you begun to value your own created God more than you value the true God of Scripture. When reasons for living and reasons for dying come into view, this is when you and I will begin to see, what are you actually living for? What's actually worth living and dying for? When when those things are brought up, Lord, I'm living for the prospering of my nation, and I'm living for the destruction of my enemies. That's the real reason you live. That's your real functional God. The Bible speaks over and over in, in terms of what we live for is in relation to what our idols are. These are what our many gods are. What we worship and delight in above the true God is ultimately what we're really worshiping. And Christian or not, we're all worshiping and living for something. So what are you really living for? Jonah's idols come into view very easily where he worships his national and religious roots. We've seen this where his pride and joy is, I'm a Jew and, and I worship the true God. Where back in chapter one, he says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And we saw and, and called out there that when he says, I, I, I fear the Lord, it was all a bit tongue in cheek. It was really lip service. It was a way of saying, I'm doing the right thing. I'm following the right God. But his heart was far from the Lord. No, his reaction to all that has happened and transpired makes it clear that Jonah's reason for living was placed in his job. Being a prophet to the northern kingdom, a kingdom of people that were deemed worthy by the messages that he brought, and, and it seemed to be that the messages that he brought at his time was a message of prosperity, and the Lord will continue to bless us, things are going to continue to go well, and a people that he identified with, these are my people. And the moment that his race and that his career, and that his religion were touched by God, was the moment that his anger was aroused. Friends, anger is a great diagnostic tool. Anger is a a thing that helps us see what is it in our lives that our hearts have gripped a hold of far too much. What is it that grips you? What is it that you find yourself getting very angry over? When was the last time you lost it? 
The last, the last time you said, I'm, I'm, you, you blew off the handle. What was that over? And the moment you ask that, maybe you begin to see where your heart has gripped too tightly. Is it when your finances dwindle? Is it when there's not enough money to pay the bills? Is it when your character has been called into question? Is it when your comfort has been removed? When someone demeans you or cuts you down? Or maybe it's when you used to be able to do do a lot of things, but now age or health has brought you to a place where you can no longer do those things. And maybe that arouses anger. What is it that you say, I can put up with this and that, but the moment you touch this thing that my heart loves, then my life is no longer worth living. Or life is miserable, and I'm just going to sit here with my arms crossed, just waiting for God to take me out. And when you can locate that, that's when you begin to put your finger on your real idols. And if you think idols are really just for the non-religious, well, think again. Clearly, Jonah was a religious follower of Yahweh. He didn't just let his beliefs work down far enough into his heart. What do I mean? Well, back in his prayer from the belly of the fish, he was praying, Lord, you're a God of grace. I want to give you thanksgiving. And in that prayer, verse eight in chapter two, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So Jonah has this understanding. If you cling to the idols, you're turning away from the love of God. Another way we could say this is those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be ours. That word there, steadfast love, that has said, that Hebrew word that is often translated as love or steadfast love or loving kindness, sometimes is mercy. And so you see Jonah here, he's clinging to idolatry of nationality and religious pride. And as, 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 as though he's forsaking God's loving Kindness, his mercy and grace for him. We think of the words of Jesus where he says, what is, what is so worth it that you would want to profit something and yet gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, lose your soul? And so Christian, wrestle with this. What is it in your life that you'd say, I'd rather cling to this thing even if it means I could lose my soul? No. It it wasn't though as Jonah here has no good reason to live. If you myopically focus, then you'll always have a reason to be angry. If we zoom in really tight, you and I are always going to find a reason to be upset and justify the reasons we're upset. But the moment you back out, the moment you back out, could you even imagine a world where your own people and a world where even your greatest enemies all repent? Can you picture that? where they turn to God and then you and they all receive amazing grace? Could you imagine that they are blessed both now and in in the age to come, both now and of course in heaven? And right now you are joined to these people who were once enemies, but now friends and you worship God together and you bask in his mercy and grace. Friends, what is that? I hope you see that's the church. That's us. Outside of Jesus, I have a reason to be enemies with quite a few of you, by the way. (laughs) But because of Jesus, I have every reason to lay down my guns, lay down my, my, my sword, as it were, and grab a hold of you and hug you. Because Jesus has erased the hatred that 
is between us. And this is what unifies and unites us is the grace that we've received in Christ. And this is what Jonah should have celebrated the possibility that these Ninevites would turn to Yahweh and become essentially Jews, become followers of the true God. The people of of God, friends, they are made up of people who are ethnically Israel. They are made up of people who are ethnically Pakistani. Uh, And all these folks who repent and turn to Christ lay down their guns like the Ninevites did and turn from their violent ways. You know, even this week, you know, hearing and, and seeing pictures of Hamas going door to door and committing these war crime atrocities, I have to tell you, there's a little Jonah in me that popped up and was just thinking, Lord, nuke them, be done with them, judge these people, Lord, you see. And while there's a place for that, I, I want to I say, I wonder if Jonah is helping us here to see that our very first thought about these people ought to be, Lord, would you turn them to you? Would you break these people so that they see this war is an idol in their life? It will never fulfill them. They will always be angry, violent people, unsatisfied. Would you turn their hearts so that they find satisfaction in the true God, a God of mercy, a God of grace, Jonah's God? No, that I think is what puts the finger right here for many of us. So just an encouragement to you in this room who consider yourself patriots, who really value our constitution. People like myself who really value the freedom of worship and religion. People who, uh, who value the ability to change your career, change your location, change your religion. That is the American way. And much of this is good. And we should celebrate from a biblical perspective how our nation is set up. But I hope this morning Jonah will also challenge you and me. You should love your country. You, you, you should love your freedom. You should desire to see us thrive. But let us heed the warning this book proposes. We cannot love our country more than we love our God. Uh, More than we love his mercy and more than we love his grace for us and for others. Our identity is primarily, first and foremost, Christians. While that doesn't erase our ethnicity, it doesn't erase our nationality. It's far, far subservient. Christ followers. For when we follow Christ and we believe in him... Paul, quoting from Isaiah, he says, whoever believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. I just have to say, no matter what we hope as far as political future goes, the candidate of your choice will likely let us down. They'll likely bring us to shame. They'll likely be blocked and not able to do what we'd like to see them to do. Misplaced affection and misplaced hope will leave us like Jonah, angry, angry enough to die. And so the sketch is clear. God's grace arouses either anger or appreciation. And with Jonah, the grace brought self-righteous anger. And yet we're still left with reasons why his grace should bring appreciation. I don't want to lose you, so stick with me as we make this turn, because we're turning now from Jonah's anger to God's grace. And to remind you here, why was it exactly that Jonah was fleeing from Tarshish? Or to to Tarshish, sorry, from Israel, from Nineveh to Tarshish. It's found right here in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
This is, that is why I, I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, Lord, I ran from you because you are a good God, gracious, merciful, slow to anger. Now, when Jonah says this about the Lord, he's quoting scripture. It seems that this is a repeated creed, if you will, that is found in several places in the Old Testament. And I was looking at each of these passages, and I think Jonah cheats here. So I'm going to call him out on this. Because when Jonah says that you are a loving God, steadfast, slow to anger, he actually pulls from the passage in Joel. You should go back and you should read that there in Joel chapter 2. But you should also know that this section, uh, this quotation is also found in Exodus 34 and Numbers chapter 14. And, And there, it's interesting because along with this quote about the Lord being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, there's another piece there that's mentioned that Jonah, I think, intentionally leaves out. Listen to it here. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving the iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the iniquity. Why the but? To say that God is amazingly gracious, but he's not blind. He sees the terror. He sees evil, violent acts. He sees what the Ninevites were doing and the sin. And that that evil will not just be cleared. That by no means will he clear the guilty. And here Jonah, he, you, Jonah and you and I, we must wrestle with this theological issue. Judgment and mercy. These two opposite poles, Jonah is having a very hard time reconciling how these come together in the plan of God. It's like Jonah had said at this point, Lord, as I'm looking back in scripture, as I'm experiencing right now, you're just a God of love and you don't care about what is right. Apparently, you're just the loving lover who lovingly loves and anybody can do whatever they want and it won't really bother you. No, our our God is a a God of justice too. He won't clear the guilty. So how is it, and ask yourself, how is it that God could bring salvation through judgment and mercy? How is it that God could you know, easily say, okay, I will be merciful and not judge you, but then you ask, well, okay, but how is that sin paid for? The debt is still there. The debt must still be paid. How can God remain merciful and also a God filled with justice? How will the debt that is incurred be paid? Jonah won't pay it. Definitely won't pay it. The Ninevites can't pay it. You won't be able to pay it. I can't pay this debt. We cannot afford the cost of this debt that has been incurred. So who then is rich in grace and mercy to pay what you and I cannot? Who would willingly receive the punishment that you deserve and I deserve? Ephesians chapter 2 responds, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Jesus says to us this morning, for just as Jonah was in uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
the greater Jonah, Jesus Christ, whom took the judgment on the cross so that we would repent believing in him and therefore receiving mercy and grace, the greater Jonah, he knew that you couldn't pay this debt and I will never pay this debt. And so he paid it on your behalf, paying the penalty of sin. And if you believe this morning in Christ, you need to know that he is the defender of the guilty. He is the justifier of the inexcusable. By grace, through faith, our sentence of judgment fell on Jesus. Would you this morning give appreciation for the grace that is in Christ? Would you let the mercy this morning drive you to appreciation and away from anger? When this appreciation for God's grace has done its work, we are in the right position to offer hope to those who are still right now facing the destruction from God. What do I mean? Let me lay in this plane. I opened this morning by telling you about the uh, army chaplain, Henry Gorecki, a, a chaplain who stayed behind to minister to the Nazi soldiers. Well, what happened there? Well, later when the American press got a hold of his story, including what Gorecki did, his willingness to actually go and graciously, graciously extend his hand to the Nazi soldiers, the American press, they, well, this is long before cancel culture, but they, they canceled him. They, they spoke ill of him. They refused to give him any sort of praise. And despite this, even though his, his own country saw him as being treacherous, Gregory continued, he quietly worked among the Germans for many weeks, reminding them of the gospel of Christ and offering them hope. And as a result, in the last days before the, some of the executions of these men, some of these men, despicable men, they seem to have come to a genuine trust in Christ. They seem to have come to genuine repentance, believing in the gospel that their wicked sin could be forgiven. Not all. But many turned into a deep appreciation for the saving grace of God. They understood the price that Jesus paid to cover their atrocities. They believe that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In faith and belief, they were humbled in great appreciation. Because friends, God's grace will arouse either anger or it will arouse appreciation. So as I close, I'm going to close and ask you to join me as I pray. We're praying together, giving thanks for God's grace. Father, we, we know the call that you've placed on us to be angry and yet do not sin. And Lord, many times our anger has led us to a place of sin. And we, are grateful that your anger has relented, your judgment has relented from us because of the grace of Christ. So we pray in these moments that we could give thanks, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish and he says, I, I, I will raise a voice of thanksgiving to you for you have provided salvation. Lord, we want to raise a voice of thanksgiving here this morning, declaring that your mercy is more, that your grace is incredible. And it overwhelms our souls. And so we give praise and thanks to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.